sometimes I feel I don't know. I don't know. Buona giornata, buona serata, buona giornata. There's not really time to relax and take an espresso for Juventus. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Euro Show here on FNR Football Nation Radio. Nick Dubano here on this beautiful Monday evening here in Melbourne. Plenty to get through after a massive weekend of European football all throughout the continent. El Clasico this morning, an incredible 4-0 win for Barcelona. We had PSG. What's going on with them right now? 3-0 loss against Monaco this morning. Further pressure on Maurizio Pochettino and further pressure on them after, you know, that tough Champions League loss about a week and a half ago now. So where to next for the French Giants? And over in Serie A, yes, we know the best league in the world, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, another win for Roma. They're on fire at the moment. They have Derby bragging rights. They're back in the race for fourth. 3-0 win this morning. And Tammy Abraham doing what he does best. But another thing we're going to touch on a little bit later on, it is, well, it is D-Day for a few nations in the, in the coming days as European World Cup qualifiers reach the round that everyone was in a way dreading. They knew this day was eventually coming after the, the last round of qualifiers back in November. It's the second round of World Cup qualifiers in UEFA and do or die for some big nations, including Italy and Portugal. World Cup qualifiers starting on Friday. Myself and my co-host, Josh Parrish, who has just walked into the studio. Josh, we're going to get into all that. A lot to look forward to this weekend, but a lot to look... Well, a lot that a lot to look forward to to talk about that happened on this weekend. Mm. Sorry, we've got a bit of a word jumble there. but And a lot to look forward to in international football in the week yes, to come. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. It's going to be a massive, massive week. And it was a massive weekend. And that's where we're going to start today, Josh. Let's go back to this morning. El Clasico at the Santiago Bernabeu. Barcelona 4, Real Madrid 0. Is the Xavi revolution, is it, is it finally in full swing? Are we starting to see Barcelona get back to that bit of greatness again? I mean, it's been a tough season, but they're ending this season in an absolute, just amazing run of form right now under their new boss. Well, there's a reason I'm wearing this cheap Barcelona knockoff. Mm. Well, there are two reasons. One, it's the only Barcelona jersey that we have in the studio, unfortunately. You know, if you're listening, Glenn Rolls, send us one, please. <laughs> uh, but also the other reason is that this is still not quite Barca. This is kind of your wish.com. It's not quite wish.com. Maybe no, I it's think your... wish.com was start of the season, Barcelona. Yeah, that, that was start of the season. Now it's more of a, a generic brand, but... You know, South Melbourne market. Yeah, maybe, or or <laughs> it could be like an Amazon, you know, second yeah, page yeah. sort of thing. Not a not a prime delivery. Not are, a recommended. Are we, are we past the Balinese market? <laughs> definitely. Yes. Definitely. Okay. Okay. Well, that was where this was purchased. Certainly. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's not quite the Barcelona of old. Yeah. Uh, but it's still those colours. It's still that badge. It's still a good side, and they've still got one of their legends of the past running things. And, you know, I was frankly shocked by the result uh, on the weekend. I was not expecting Barcelona to win, let alone win in such emphatic fashion. But Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang looks like a new man. Absolutely. He looks, Absolutely. He looks reinvigorated, reborn, however you want to describe it. And uh, I, 
I, for quite frankly, did not see that coming when they signed him. I, I didn't anticipate that whatsoever, but it seems as if he's found a new lease of life, new motivation under a new manager and in a different environment. And I'm glad to see him back to his best because he was magnificent to watch, particularly that backheel chopped assist mm. for Ferran Torres. Uh, absolutely unbelievable. Well, it's seven goals in seven games in the league since arriving at Barcelona in January. Uh, that's nine goals and 11 in all competitions, if you're including his Europa League form as well. It's been some run for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who a lot of people wrote off uh, mm. at, at around that midway point of the season. A tough time at Arsenal at the start of the year. Didn't look quite interested. Um, you know, he's now 32. He was on a big contract went to Barcelona and he still showed he still has got it. I mean, we remember Aubameyang in his early days at Arsenal, also Borussia Dortmund, what kind of player he can be. And he's reminding everyone of exactly that. But they were just too good in almost every in almost every facet today. Um, there was there no match for Real Madrid. Some really poor defending for some of the goals as well. Eder Militao, you know, losing his man. Same with David Alaba. Nacho was just penetrated time and time again on that mm. wing from by Uzi Dembele. Um, and the Ferran Torres goal as well. Wow. Like, it was originally offside, but the way he timed his run, literally inch perfect in the end, it was overturned and it was actually paid as a goal. But the cheeky dink over Thibaut Courtois as well, some finish. And this Barcelona team is firing on all cylinders right now in really every facet from defence into midfield now into the front line. And some of those signs they made in January have really helped stabilise them. And they're in a good run at the moment. I mean, there's every chance this could have been more than 4-0 if it wasn't for Thibaut Courtois bailing them out. Real Madrid, I'll tell you what, ever since winning that game against PSG, they have been stumbling and another bad loss for them. They might still win the league. They're nine points clear of Sevilla, but losing 4-0 in the El Clasico will forever be a bit of a black mark in what's been this kind of uncompetitive season for them. It's interesting. There was some discussion heading into this week uh, as to what was the more important priority. Was it the Europa League game against Galatasaray or the league game against Real Madrid? And usually in a normal season for Barcelona, that would be a very simple question to answer. But in a season like this where they really have no realistic hope of overhauling that at the top of the table, yes, they need to chase Champions League football, but you know they've got... They don't really have a realistic hope of winning the league. I I think my eggs would have been in the Europa League basket to actually win some silverware. Um, but they decided to pretty much play a full strength lineup for both games, slightly rotated for the Galatasaray game. Um, you know, swapping Adama Traore for um, uh, who played instead of Adama Traore. It was, I guess, it was. Uh, yeah, uh, Uzumane Dembele. Dembele. Yeah, 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 correct, yeah. correct. Um, and playing Adama Traore instead of Dembele, they started Eric Garcia instead of Ronaldo Rojo in the back line. So yeah. there were only a couple of uh, tweaks, um, but they've managed to get a lot out of this squad playing a short turnaround. And I think that's pretty impressive. Absolutely. And I mean, right now, Barcelona have gone from being right out of contention for Europe to right now being within only touching distance of second. They play Sevilla next and they're only three points behind them. They win that and they do jump them on goal difference. It's an amazing turnaround on the Xavi. They're firing there, as you said, they're into the next round of the Europa League as well, playing Eintracht Frankfurt in the quarterfinals. Um, and after this international break, I mean, this this run home for them is actually quite favourable. Got some tough games in there still against Real Betis and Real Sociedad, but no more games against Real Madrid, none against Atleti, who are also now starting to find some form at the moment. So right now, I mean, it, it is a bit too late for them to win the league and 
you know, go on a late, incredible title push. But it's going to be exciting to see how they continue to develop over the next few months. I mean, you can only imagine at the end of this season, they'll continue to shave the wage budget, look to offload players to try and balance the books a little bit. But some of the signings they've made, especially Mm. in January, have all paid off. So it looks like they're starting to at least get back on track. Um, And it really is the start of a new revolution, a new era at Barcelona right now. It's interesting you say that because up until recently, until the... uh, I guess salary cap rules for La Liga were clarified uh, recently. Barcelona and Juan Laporta were increasingly bullish about their prospects of signing Erling Haaland. Yeah. Which anyone with half a brain can realise that they just don't have the money for. They can't Mm. afford to do it. With the debt that they're in, it's just not going to happen. And yes, uh, there are some caveats for clubs um, in their position such as if you offload certain wages, you're able to reinvest a portion of that uh, in in signings, even if you're over the salary cap. Yeah. Um, Because La Liga didn't want to completely hamstring teams that are over budget and have no way of getting out from Mm. under it in one transfer window. They didn't want to prevent them from signing anyone and they did want to reward teams who were showing that they were starting to chip away and starting to move towards balanced books. Yeah. But... There's just no way, even with the, you know the messy salary going off off their wage books. There's just no way that they could afford Highland with the transfer no. fee and with the monstrous wages that would entail. You know they've arguably used it up on Sergio Aguero, who's sadly had to retire on Pierre Emerick Aubameyang, Memphis Depay, <laughs> on Memphis Depay, uh, on uh, Ferran Torres, who didn't come cheap, of course. Yep. So. The, the portion of the messy wages that they were able to reinvest, because remember they did not get a transfer fee for him, uh, and they're only able to reinvest, I think, 50% of that salary, mm. uh, that's not going to cover Haaland, unfortunately. No. Not, even, not even close. So I don't think they're going to be able to make the kinds of signings that we're accustomed to seeing from Barcelona in eras past. But that doesn't mean this result isn't a positive. This is a massive, massive positive for them. Uh, is it a turning point? Does it change the, the balance in La Liga? I don't think it does. Uh, was this also a result of Carlo Ancelotti making some very strange selection decisions? I think also Absolutely. yes. Absolutely. But, yeah, I, I, I do think it's, it's a big day for Barcelona um, and for their fans to, to feel some, some self-worth mm. once again. Well, I can say from a team uh, wearing the jersey of another team who go through, who have gone through some tough years before, you know, the last couple of years in Milan, winning a derby despite how bad of a season you're having and how underwhelming of a season you're having and just beating a big rival, whether it was beating Inter or beating Juventus or even beating Napoli or Roma, there's a real sense of satisfaction with that. It is, you know, that, like you can have such a bad season, but you know you've got that that little bit of bragging rights, it certainly goes a long way. Um, But in terms of Real Madrid, Josh, they were without Karim Benzema, who was injured. Uh, They went with Valverde as a bit of a false nine. That goes to show the faith that they have in Luka Jovic, who we've spoken about. Just completely frozen out. It's time to go, Luka. This experiment has failed completely. Um, But it's been a weird end to the season for Real Madrid because, I mean, they were 20 minutes away from Champions League elimination. They went on an incredible, you know, run in that second league against PSG. And then, you know, they've built this league in a, this lead in a really uncompetitive La Liga um, season. Right now, 
it does feel like that they're going to kind of just scrape their way over the line because it doesn't feel like there's going to be much competition going through or coming up in the next few weeks. It's not like Sevilla really, you know, banging down the doors. They dropped points again on the weekend, had a chance to at least make it a little bit more interesting. Um, it's a really underwhelming campaign, I think, for Real Madrid, at least from a league standpoint, despite the fact they've won it. I still think it, it's been a bit like, ah. Oh, like, cool. It's like PSG winning League One. Like, cool. Yeah, you've done it again. But like... It's the two sweetest words in the English language. Default. Default. And uh, that's that's how Real Madrid have won this. Um, yeah. You know, they, they've outlasted the competition. Uh, it's interesting. I saw a table that uh, was basically a La Liga table, but only for first halves. So you only take the first yeah. 45 minutes. And uh, Real Betis were top. Wow. And Sevilla were sixth or seventh. So I think Sevilla, in what was an opportunity for them uh, to win the league, have been a little complacent at the starts of games. They've got this yeah. system, they rely on it heavily, they're good defensively, of course. Only 19 goals conceded in 29 games, which is outstanding. Best defense in the league by a mile. Uh, but. They haven't been able to score enough goals. You know, they're second in the league with only 40 goals compared to Real Madrid's 59 and Barcelona's 56. It's just not really good enough. And there seems to be, when I watch them play, any, a real patience, which can be a virtue, of course, mm. as, we, as, as we know. But I think sometimes they're too reliant on the system working and the fact that the chance will eventually come. Mm. And too often this season they've drawn a blank and haven't been able to break teams yeah. down and have relied on late goals to snatch results, even snatch draws when they should be winning games. And you, they were in a really good position after January. They got their players back from, from AFCON because mm. they have a couple of you know North African players in the team who they missed. And, and they got through that period really well. And now they've got their first choice team back and they just keep drawing games. And, I mean, there is a reliance on a bit of individual brilliance in those games as well. You know, someone mm -hmm. to bail them out. One in particular is someone like Papo Gomez, mm -hmm. who they did miss this morning. They brought in Anthony Martial in January as well. I mean, just trying to get his stats up right now. But I don't think he's made much I don't much think it's impact. really changed much for them. Uh, they also brought in Jesus Corona from Porto. I don't think he's had the impact they'd been hoping for. Um, you know, they're still also very reliant on Ivan Rakitic in midfield, but, I mean, he's getting older, as we've seen with Luka Modric with Real Madrid. They have one all-action player who plays at a million miles an hour, which is Lucas Ocampos. Yeah. and But almost he goes too fast sometimes. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's almost... He's too quick for his own, like... It's like they, it does, his brain doesn't follow his and feet sometimes. he's such sometimes. a contrast to all the other players in the team. Who well, I mean, they have Suso on their books, who is more like relaxed the most pace. nonchalant winger I've ever seen play the game of football. But uh, Ocampos, if he doesn't score, they're, they're in trouble because yeah. he has a habit of missing a lot of chances. Hmm. Um, you know, he gets into great positions, but as you say, a million miles an hour doesn't always convert and no. hasn't been the most reliable. And they thought Anthony Martial would provide that composure up front, but he just hasn't been... The chances haven't really been falling to him. No, not at all. Not at all. Well, going forwards, we mentioned Barcelona and Sevilla. First game out of the international break. That is going to be a massive contest because Barcelona do win. Well, they go to second. So from about sixth or seventh on the table where they were when Ronald Koeman was sacked, all the way up to second. It's quite a good end to the season for Barcelona nonetheless. 
The other team to keep an eye on in La Liga, who has been in a red-hot run of form, is Atletico Madrid. Uh, 1-0 win against Vallecano on the weekend. Coque with the goal in that one. They're riding some form. I mean, they have gotten through past... We saw Diego Simeone showered with um, plastic cups and all sorts after the Manchester United win in midweek. But they are running a good run in, in the league as well. I think now that this is a... Just doing a bit of quick maths. That is five straight wins in a row in the league, including wins against Real Betis and as well as mentioned against Celta Vigo and Real Vallecano, but also some good results against Manchester United as well in the quarterfinals. After really only scraping through that group in the Champions League as well, I mean, Porto looked like they were going through. There was a, a period where it was like maybe Milan will snatch it in the last game, but... In the end, Madrid have tied their t- timed their run pretty well after, again, what has been, mm. for the most part, another underwhelming season. But they're also three points off the pace of second two. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a weird year in La Liga, to be honest. Very strange. It, you know, it's weird every time it's not the Barcelona-Real Madrid duopoly in force. I do want to dig into some of the selection decisions that Ancelotti made this morning. You want so to go back to our classic? I think, yeah, I, think I do. Back, yeah. I think I need to go, you know, micro before we go macro here, if you like. Yeah, fair enough. Because there are certain enough. players, as you mentioned, that just don't get a look in. Yeah. You know, and you look at the... Um, you look at, uh, as I nearly sneeze into the microphone, uh, <laughs> look at Nacho playing left back, for example. Yeah. Can David Alaba remember how to play there? Well, let's have a look who else could have filled in. Well, they had Marcello on the bench as well. Yeah, well, Marcello's, Marcello's been washed for a little while. I know. Let's, let's, I let's, know. let's not get carried they, away. I mean, their centre-back depth is not great. Mm. It's it's quite lacking. I, yeah. I I I think that's the the argument against. But Nacho playing centre back is his more natural role. Yes, he's sure. a, a, a sort of utility Mister Fixit across the back line. But left back is undoubtedly his weakest of the mm. slots along that defence. And David Alaba played left back as one of the best in the world for years and years and years. And I can understand not wanting to break up your central defensive partnership. But when Nacho is getting torched time and time again by Dembele mm. and by Aubameyang when he drifted over to that flank. Surely you have to make a change. Yes. Surely you have to swap those two. But also I think more baffling as well, not even with their defensive partnership, Josh, is when are they going to finally hand the keys to Eduardo Camavinga? Mm. Because it seems like every single time he plays, he plays well, but there is this over-reliance on that same three. I mean, we're not doubting the brilliance of Luka Modric. We're not doubting, you know, what Tony Cruz and Casimero have done over such a prolonged period of time. But Eduardo Camavinga is arguably the, one of the most promising talent. Well, not arguably, is one of the most ta- promising young talents in world football right now. I mean, he's already among the best central midfielders in the world. And he's, what, 19 years of age, 20 years of age? He's still so young. Like, we saw what he did, how he changed the game against PSG with just his all-action sort of style in midfield. You know, sure, it's going to get to a stage when they've just got to give him, you know, give him the keys. Like, mm-hmm. you know, don't give him the car for a test drive. Actually let him take it out and let him, you know, own the car. Like, this guy can give him so much more, give him a bit more drive. And, you know, going without a recognised striker this morning as well, I mean, like, like what is that? Like, what are they trying to do there? I mean, I know Luka Jovic hasn't done much, but going with a false nine in this sort of game, I, it's a bold strategy. It really is. And uh, it did not pay off, Cotton. Um, look, <laughs> I, I do think it's emblematic of just how little trust Real Madrid have in Luka Jovic yeah. and just how much of a waste of money he's been that when they don't have Benzema, there is no other striker. 
And you'd think, you know, one of Rodrigo or Vinny Jr. could fill in there. They prefer to be facing goal, yeah, of, of course. course. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Jovic is the only backup striker, really, unless you're going to play Aiden Hazard, Hazard as yeah. a false nine, which, which... No. Well, which Chelsea have done, and he can Hazard, play there. Remember, Hazard is not the but same Hazard, as he once Hazard was, has been know. a massive disappointment as well on yeah. the level of Jovic. Uh, yeah, I, I, it disappoints me that uh, that Carlo Ancelotti couldn't find faith in, in one of those two players and give them an opportunity in this game when it was clear that they needed somebody of that profile in the team. Um, but you mentioned the midfield three and Kamavinga not getting enough minutes. I can understand why that's the case because Ancelotti is trusting his experienced players and arguably the Modric-Cruz-Casemiro combination has been the best midfield three of the last decade. Sure, but Tony Cruz is now against that stage of his career where he's been dragged so good time. though. They still played, I know, they still played PSG off the park. You think about the rest of the season and there should have been more rotation. I agree with that on a week-to-week basis. But against Barcelona... Carlo Ancelotti's going to refer to the tried and trusted and play Casemiro, Cruz, Modric. Um, Like, I I would love to see more of Kamavinga, but I think he's just going to have to wait his turn, unfortunately. Well, Josh, as we mentioned about Kamavinga changed the game, again, in that that PSG game, he did come on for Tony Cruz and gave him something extra. And I think they tried to, you know, replicate that by bringing him on at halftime. But I just want to see more of him because I feel like what we've seen from such a small sample size or at least not even a small sample size, just from a relative body of work prior to Real Madrid and since arriving at Real Madrid is the guy can play football and he needs to play more. I I just think, you know, it's going to get to a stage when it's like that Malcolm in the middle clip. The future is now, old man. Like, I'm not doubting how good Tony Cruz is. I'm not doubting how good Casimiro Luka Modric is. I just think you're going to have to get to a stage where it's like, all right, Maybe we could better utilise Tony Cruz in a better role. Maybe, as you mentioned, it's just a little bit more rotation. Mm. So it's not, we're not getting to March now and Tony Cruz is absolutely spent or Luka Modric isn't absolutely spent because they've played so much football this season. Maybe it just needs to be a little bit more rotation. Um, um, I did. I actually was wrong to say that there were no other striking options because Mariano Diaz did come off the bench. I don't think he's quite Real Madrid calibre. No. But he's good in the air. You know, he works hard. He's kind of a pressing forward and, you know, you've, I mean, you've also got Marco Asensio, who's not a nine, I know no. that, but he's such a good finisher. He's amazing on his left foot. Yeah, sure. sure. So, yeah. you know, he would have been another option. I'm, I'm always super impressed with Asensio. I know Real Madrid fans don't like him that much. They, they think he's overrated. I, I still think if he was to spread his wings and leave and go somewhere else, you would see the best of him. Well, there are a lot of players, I think, in this Real Madrid team that probably need to look to make a move at the end of the season. Like, there are a lot of players there that they can shave off the wage budget, but also, you know, can just... I mean, these a lot of these guys as well, it's not like they're young players, but they're at the stage of their career now where they're getting towards that just past their prime, getting towards the other side of the hill, but can still do a job at a decent club. I mean... Isco? Oh, that was the first name I was going to mention. Isco now at 29. He's barely seen much football at all this season. I mean, he's only played 11 games in in, in, in La Liga, but hasn't seen a minute since the start of February. I mean, he's just been sitting on the bench collecting a paycheck almost. I mean, Gareth Bale, another one mm-hmm. who's just enjoying the, you know, the golf course a little bit too much at the moment. Um, I'm looking at guys like Danny Caballos, uh, Luka Jovic, Eden Hazard, even Marco Asensio. 
I know that, you know, Asensio is still seeing minutes, but I would love to see him make a move somewhere else and really take that next step and spread his wings as a permanent starter somewhere. I reckon he could really flourish. And there's another one as well who's actually not in the Madrid squad right now, but I think should also be looking to make that move permanent is Brahim Diaz. Brahim Diaz on a two-year loan deal at Milan. There's not really a slot for him to come back in because he's going to come back into mm. a really crowded squad. I think that Real Madrid should be looking. All right, we need a, they need to also have a contingency plan in place because Karim Benzema's 34. They need a new striker. That striker that they're probably going to want is Erling Haaland, right? They're going to need Or Kylian Mbappe playing through well, the Well, that's also going to be coming on a free transfer. But they're probably going to want to go full Galacticos. I wouldn't be surprised they try play Mbappe as a winger as well and try play Mbappe and Benzema in the same lineup. But I reckon as well there's some sort of plan to bring Erling Haaland in as like when Benzema decides that, it's, that mm-hmm. this is it, we've got Haaland that can come in and be that you know proper number nine. It's interesting because I don't think they can necessarily afford both players. Who, Given, Haaland and Mbappe? Yeah, because they're going to, two, going to be two of the best play, paid players in the world. And the salary cap rules will continue in La Liga next season. So... I think Real Madrid, unless they really have a clear out of this, uh, these peripheral guys who you know won't necessarily be getting too many offers from elsewhere that will match mm-hmm. the wages they're on at Real Madrid, uh, I think they're going to struggle to get Haaland and Mbappe in the same window. Yeah. Uh, but um, I think there is one team who is much more likely to secure the services of Haaland, and that's Manchester City. And that well, for yeah, them, for them the money is no yeah. object, as no. we know. So... You know, they've got the biggest turnover out of, mm. like, any team in the world. How they get that money and where those sponsorships actually come from is a subject for another podcast. Absolutely. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think Erling Haaland is going to Manchester City or is more likely to go to Manchester City considering Mbappe seems set on Real Madrid. Let's have a look. At the end of this season, there are a few players coming out of contract. Marcelo is one of them. I mean, it's probably time for him to make that move. He's been there literally his entire career, probably maybe a move to the MLS or something yeah, something those Miami, lines Marcelo. Can you yeah. imagine Marcelo in Miami? Mate, he'd be loving life <laughs> in Miami. Anywhere, like, it, it's such a, like, LA Galaxy or into Miami or New York City FC kind of signing. But I reckon we... He might go back to Brazil. Maybe. Equally. That's also another option for him. Uh, so, Luka Modric is also out of contract. I mean, I can see him sticking around for another season. I reckon he's got one more year left in Real Madrid. There's been no indication that he wants to leave or wants to go play somewhere else. I mean... The, the move, I think, that, you know, sort of pulling on the heartstrings is maybe a move back to Croatia, you know, for a season towards the end of his career. Um, you know, it seemed to go back, back I to think, Dinamo. I think or... Luka Modric is retiring as a Real Madrid player. You think so? Oh, I, I think, could, I I think he's going to be given the hero send-off. I could see him playing one more season somewhere else. <sighs> yeah, Doing maybe. what most others do, you uh, know, maybe. A... I mean, who said anything about one, you know? I mean, he's 37 this so, year. So, I mean... He maybe go two, three, four more years. Who knows? well... Even <laughs> Wash Luka Modric is one of the best players in the world, hey, as we saw in the Champions League. Would love to have him here. Would love to, as would someone else that we know very well. It's, it's not going to happen, um, let's be honest. No, I know, I know. I'm just, he's he's going to prolong his career as long as he needs to so that he can play for the Croatian national team. Mm. Um, well, you'd think he'd probably have his eyes on not just Qatar, but maybe 2024, if he could really push it for, for the Euros. Yeah. I mean, this is probably the last dance with Croatia, but... I think given how well he's playing this season, maybe he's reconsidering that. So mm. even if he's used in a bit part role around Madrid over the next few years, yeah. he doesn't have to start every week. 
still worth keeping on the books, in my opinion. The other two that are out of contract, Isco, I think that he's done. I think that whoever picks him up on a free transfer, I reckon that would be a really good signing mm. for, for maybe a, a team like a... Depends know, on his body, or... depends on the situation, what he's asked to do. But... Well, I think, he, he, I, I, honestly, though, as much as I'd love to see him stay in Europe, he does reek of an MLS signing. Mm. Like he really does reek of an MLS sign, or big money MLS could, signing. Could, could be Emma, uh, could be even be Middle East kind of. Yeah, look, I would love to see him. I, I say this all the time, but I'd love to see him in Serie A. There's been a long link between him and mm. Milan for a very, very long time. Milan do need a ten. Um, I don't think they will sign him with who they're looking at getting, but I would love to see him potentially prolong his career with a couple of years in Serie A. I don't know who would fit. Maybe. I mean, aren't Milan trying to press a little bit more, play a little bit more of a modern style? Yes, that, that's that's probably why Milan would probably avoid it, and they are looking at... Because he is you know, a classic making, playmaker I in think, a mould that doesn't often get a run these days. I think the Brahim Diaz deal is more important and more poignant for them because he does fit that mould, and I think they are looking at bringing back Pobega as well, who does fit that sort of role as a 10. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe... I don't know, maybe you might look at him. It, I would be in surprised. In a way, this, this whole conversation yeah. is premature. Nick, because they were going to win the league. They're still yeah. in the Champions League. You know, this is one game against Barcelona that know, went awry. And, and Benzema know. was not available. And when Benzema's in the team, it's a completely different equation. You know, when Philip Mendy is available, different equation. So you're saying they win different. that game if they're available? Yeah, probably. I don't think so. If they have their first choice team, I, I'm not sure that Barcelona... I don't know if Karen Benzema counteracts their defensive frailty, so... Yeah, but... If you have the ball and if you can keep it because Benzema is providing that pivot up front. Maybe. And if you don't have Nacho getting torched every time down the that, that down that flank, if Ferlan Mendy is playing, if you've got your first choice team, I, don't, I think it's a, it evens up considerably. It evens up, Maybe. but I, I still think Barcelona win this game. I don't know. It's, it's a difficult counterfactual. I think it's a completely different... Mm. Like, the, the game is played in an entirely different way. Yeah. So I think, I think it's hard to say one way or another. Um, but given you look at the table, like the table doesn't lie. So yeah. Real Madrid are still in the aggregate, much more consistent, much better team than Barcelona. And one 4-0 result doesn't change that. Good point, Josh. Fair enough. Fair enough. Don't we'll, get too we'll, carried we'll, away. We'll give you that before, one. Before okay. vultures come, come looking at the transfer market. Yes, absolutely. Out of I was page. just going to say the other one that's out of contract is Gareth Bale. So finally he'll be set free after a decade. <laughs> God knows where he goes, I but mean, he'll be whoever free, has the best goal course. Set free. You know, they, he would have glad, like, they would have gladly mutually terminated his contract if he wanted to leave. So. Well, I mean, whoever he goes next will just be whoever has the best golf course in mm. that certain city and he might he might actually, again, that probably be MLS for him. Maybe go and just be as close to Augusta as possible. Perhaps. Maybe maybe he could play for like a Welsh team. In the Welsh Premier League? No. In, or like Swansea or Cardiff yeah, or exactly. something? Well, or Swansea. Uh, well, <laughs> go play with the bootlegger. Yeah, because as we remember from the famous poster, it was Wales, Golf, Madrid in yeah. that order. And Wales comes first, so... Yeah, but like... Maybe he could be like Hal robson Carnu and play for the national team without having a club side. <laughs> you know what? It wouldn't, it, it wouldn't surprise me with Gareth Bale. Nothing surprises me with him. So, you know what? Look, it would surprise me a little bit. If Swansea were in the running to get promoted, I don't know where Cardiff are, but I know Swansea definitely aren't. I would say, okay, maybe, but maybe return to Southampton. Ooh, interesting. I mean, he's done the move back to Spurs, and he didn't get it didn't get made permanent. But why not go back to Southampton? Why ever not? Run it back. 
Run it back. Bring them all back. But anyways, uh, Josh, let's take a quick break here. and we come back, let's talk a bit of PSG. They were spanked last night, 3-0 by Monaco. Another team as well in terms of on the way to the title, but have a little bit of issues to sort out. And potentially, Maurizio Pochettino might be on the way out, but he might not be the only one who's joining mm. him at the exit door. And I'm not talking about a player by the name of Kylian Mbappe. And then we'll talk a little bit of Serie A as well and look ahead to the Euro qualifiers. Back in just a second here on the Euro Show. Sometimes I feel, I don't know, I don't know. There's not really time to relax and take an espresso for Juventus. <laughs> you don't have to get a bad attitude. You don't have to get a bad attitude. Attaccare! Welcome back to the Euro Show here on FNR Football Nation Radio. Nick Tabano and Josh Parrish here. Talked all things El Clasico earlier on in the show. If you missed any of it, make sure you head over to our podcast platform, Spotify, Apple, wherever you might get it. Leave a review, leave a comment. Let us know what you'd like us to talk about next Monday. We have some exciting news coming about a certain other Monday program, so keep your eye to the FNR socials over the next few days. Now let's move on to League One, another team, another big giant of European football going down last night, or, well, technically this morning. Monaco 3, PSG nil, a double from Wissam, Ben Yedda and Kevin Voland on the score sheet for Monaco on the day. Another loss for PSG, more pressure falling upon Maurizio Pochettino at the moment, who, well, despite the fact that PSG are, you know, waltzing to another League One title, surprise, surprise, with a 12-point lead, above Marseille, they are in a bit of a rocky bit of form at the moment, PSG. Out of the Champions League, not necessarily playing too well. Bit of disharmony in the squad at the moment. Mm. Things are starting to fall apart for the uh, the giants of French football. Yeah, not shocked after that Champions League result, which their whole season builds towards. And it's, it's set into a pretty familiar pattern now that PSG will choke in the biggest match of the season and then everything will fall apart behind mm-hmm. the scenes. And yeah. it eventually happened with Thomas Tuchel in the Champions League final, of course, but there was a good run. He managed to keep the morale up and the team together. I think that was a mark of how, how successful yeah, he was as a manager, yeah. even if they did play some pretty horrendous football at times with the three defensive midfielders in one, you know, three anchors to cover for their lazy forward players. Uh, but, yeah, it was interesting to see it so so starkly in this match. I mean, Monaco are a decent side, but they're not the team they, they used, used to, to be. be. So this is a significant, significant margin to lose by against, you know, a team that PSG would generally be expected to roll comfortably. So, yeah, I'm not sure if Maurizio Pochettino is long for the job. Well... They were having this discussion on the ESPN FC pod. I was giving a listen on the way in, and um, they were saying the, a bit of an interesting theory about Poch. Gab Marcotti was actually talking about it, and he said that he feels like, you know, with Tottenham, he got it so well because he had, you know, a whole squad of players who were willing to run through a brick wall for him, and he had a bunch of blue-collar, you know, workman-like players that arguably they overperformed with the squad that he had. But at PSG, you know, this is a team of players that, they aren't always like that. A lot of players who you have to play to their egos, you're not going to tell Messi, Neymar and Mbappe to drop back and defend while, you know, players like Young Min Son and Harry Kane are going to bust their ass off every single week. And, you know, this is a very, very different side. Um, 
Maurizio Pochettino, I mean, is he the manager to manage these sort of stars? There aren't many in world football who can. I mean, probably the best manager who did do that was Carlo Ancelotti with when he had Ronaldo in, you know, that Real Madrid period. I mean, there's not many that have been able to successfully do it. But I wonder with each of these passing few weeks, do these losses, do these failures under Maurizio Pochettino potentially damage his own stocks going forward? I mean, he's constantly linked to the Manchester United job. Does that look down upon him because he's going to be going to a Manchester United team which, well, they're full of egos as well Mm. and they've arguably got the biggest one in world football leading the line for him right now. So what does this mean for Poch going forward? I mean, you know, I doubt he'll be the PSG manager next season, but can you see him coaching Manchester United? Can you see him, you know, really coaching another big team again? It's interesting that you bring up that explanation. I I think it's been voiced by a number of pundits this season. Mm. You know, it's certainly something I've bought into about Poch and the kind of football he likes to play and the background that he comes from in terms of Espanol, which is like the ultimate working class (laughs) kind of agricultural team. Uh, Southampton, as to to a certain extent, the same, um, you know, and Tottenham, he managed to get buy-in from a lot of players who did grunt work. Yeah, like... Eric Dyer and Moussa Dembele, for example. Yeah. Like real hard real, workers. Real hard workers who covered ground yeah. and, and you know, died for the shirt, essentially. So, uh, as you say, that is an excuse, a built-in excuse for him to fail at PSG, but it does not strengthen his case to manage Manchester United, at least not this Manchester yeah. United, unless they're planning on a massive clear-out. Mm. Because everything that hangs over Manchester United is in the shape of Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. Who who is who pretty much sums everything up everything that is wrong with PSG in a way. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, look, with PSG they've also got a big question to ask about Leonardo. I mean, Leonardo has made all these signings and he's tried to to assemble this super team which I mean, winning Ligue 1 for PSG is just customary, like you know they're going to win it, like they can put out their second team and probably win it. But the interesting thing is Do they need to change their transfer strategy? Do they need to change their strategy altogether? Because there are a lot of unhappy PSG fans right now that are seeing this team, yet winning the league, but we're not getting the ultimate glory, and that's winning the Champions League. This is a PSG team that have the backyard of Paris who develop, who have so many talented players that come through their ranks, but, you know, they end up selling for a profit so they can bring in the bigger name NRI signings, like, you know, going after Messi, going after, I mean, in fact, Trafakimi's available, you're going to sign him, but signing a guy like Ginny Vinealdum as well, whilst they let guys like Nkuku and Mike Mignon, et cetera, slip through the cracks. What does do PSG need to look a little bit more towards development? I mean, they can they find a bit of a balance in there? Like, can they mm. potentially look to offload these veterans? Because it's like they're trying to assemble sort of a bit. They have like a bit of a Brooklyn Nets, LA Lakers strategy of trying to sign all these gun veterans who are going to get let them win now, but it's not working for them. At least this squad is completely imbalanced and they're not all buying into the same strategy. I mean, even Gianluigi Donnarumma is having an absolute mare of PSG at the moment. You know, the penalty... It f- flew in off his hand. And that's usually Donald Woman's bread and butter. His confidence looks completely shocked at the shot at the moment. So I just don't know if things are really moving in the same way. And I don't know if Leonardo's strategy is really working because we know he butts heads with everyone wherever he goes. Mm. It's been the same with him at PSG in Milan. Whether this will continue, I don't know if it's really good for PSG's long-term health, but we know with them everything's short-term. And whoever, whoever takes over next season, if you've got that lingering shadow of Leonardo... 
you know that you're, you're going to be finding yourself hamstrunging how you go with, go moving forward heading into next season. Well, does the PSG hierarchy begin to question Leonardo at this point? Well, I think Leonardo needs because to be on. You know, if it's not the manager, then... You know, it's the technical director. Exactly. So I think it's time for Leonardo to go. The other interesting point about this is how much longer is Qatar really interested in having PSG as their flagship? Well, I mean, the guy who's the front for PSG is the one who's in charge of all the broadcasting rights of being sports. I mean, he's got such a big say. This They, they almost have a bigger say in sort of the world, the European football landscape right now than they do about actually, you know, I think they care more about that than actually PSG as a product. Would you be surprised if they sell? I wouldn't be hugely surprised if we saw a decreased level of interest and investment from the ownership. And maybe selling portion of the club? Qatar 2022 because this is essentially a sports washing washing project yeah. to legitimise Qatar. Um, they've also done it through club sponsorships. Hmm. Um, you know the fake Barcelona kit I was wearing before yeah. the break uh, had the, the Qatar uh, Foundation. Yeah, Qatar Foundation on the front. Um, so uh, they've done it with uh, using sports people in their advertising. If you go to Qatar Airport. They had the Barcelona and PSG players everywhere, mm. all over the airport, you know, massive floor-to-ceiling banners. Uh, so it's it's part of legitimising Qatar as a destination for the World Cup and all the, you know, political influence that, and kudos that comes with that. Once the tournament is actually staged, you know, we've seen with, with Russia... Yeah, they've, they've got what they needed out of FIFA. They mm. don't really care that they've been yeah. kicked out now. You know, with, with Qatar, I don't know how much longer they'll really be that interested in supporting this this incredibly expensive project. Mm. Does this thing have a deadline? Do we see PSG actually drop off the radar in terms of the, the super clubs? Uh, I'm not sure, but it would so be... So maybe going back to pre-Qatar ownership PSG. It could be... You know, that, that actually could be quite appealing to some of their supporters. Yeah. You know, because PSG, for all the bad rep they get as this sort of concocted thing that, you know, they've, they've got a massive budget and they just roll over all the smaller teams in Liga, um, you know, from this foreign money. They have amazing supporters. Mm. The Ultras are yeah. seriously passionate about their club and I think a lot of them feel that it's been stolen from them. Yeah. You would feel that way. Absolutely. So... Maybe this is in the better long-term interest of uh, of the actual community institution that is Paris Saint-Germain if the Qatari ownership steps away, even if it, it means less silverware. Isn't it funny now how it just seems like in world football we're starting to see a bit of a shift back like in, with some of these teams, like Abramovich out of Chelsea, like, you know, starting to hark it, like Chelsea potentially having to take a completely different route going back almost to their roots, whoever they get bought by PSG. If, 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 you know, if your theory stands up and they go back to their roots as well and go back to being a Parisian club, essentially being, you know, mm. we're Paris, we're not Qatar Paris, we're just Paris, we represent Paris. And even the Saint-Germain region. Region of Paris, Paris. as well, obviously because Paris being a massive It's city. interesting that the ownership doesn't like you referring to Paris Saint-Germain. They've reduced it to, to PSG. PSG a lot of the time and they even thought about changing the name to Paris FC. Mm. No, never mind the actual team in the lower leagues. It's called, called Paris, Paris FC. FC. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm sure they you know, would have settled out of court on that mm. one. 
Um, but they, they prefer to, to refer to Paris because that's the international destination with all the movie stars and fashion models and et cetera, yeah, et cetera, Air et cetera. Jordan brands, et cetera, exactly. um, you know, But Saint-Germain doesn't mean anything to an international no. audience and therefore they've tried to basically shrink that part of the club's identity, which is actually, you know, an arrondissement in, in Paris. It's, it's a very specific area. Yeah. So it's a borough, essentially. Um, mm. You know, I, I would love to see them see them go back to back to their roots, I suppose. I don't know whether you can undo this. I don't know whether, uh, you know, these contracts will expire and they'll they'll just, you know, it'll be a... It might be a slow ebbing away of, of power mm. and money and influence because... They've been essentially bad for world football in a lot of ways, more so than just the money coming from a questionable source, mm. but also the inflationary impact of their spending, which has forced a lot of clubs around Europe into crazy spending that has jeopardized their future. See Barcelona, for example, yeah. and what they did with the Neymar money and how they got into massive debt after that. Um, see all the clubs trying to keep up with the Joneses essentially and the precedent that it's set um, for states essentially to yeah. buy clubs like Newcastle, Newcastle United yeah. um, and not just, you know, wealthy oligarchs like Abramovich, which are proxies for, for yeah. the state. Um, I, I think they've, they've been a profoundly bad influence on, on world football. So I would love to see the gap between the rich and the poor shrink and, you know, the inflationary pressure of PSG spending stopping on, you know, stopping goading the traditional powers into matching yep. them and then the, the gap therefore growing underneath them while these super clubs get into bigger and bigger Well, debt. we've always tried, we've always, you know, spoken about equalisation in football, but do we really see that happening? If I anything, know. I mean, like, if it does feel like the richer are getting richer and the poorer are poor, getting poorer, especially during COVID. I mean, how many teams in England especially went under? We saw a situation with Wigan, you know, like a situation like that can happen to anybody. The poor are getting poorer, getting screwed over by COVID. You know, clubs, richer clubs getting richer. It's just going to keep happening. And especially it happens a lot in Italy as well. Like we've had situations of ownership in Italy where you've had Salernitana who were days away from going bankrupt because they were owned by the same guy who owns Lazio. And, you know, you have these owners that are like, I don't want to get rid of my assets. Like, I want to try and hold on to my assets because it makes them obviously more cash. It just feels like, you know, and obviously that money, we, we think that money's gone back into Lazio because Lazio is the prized possession of Claudio Latito in that situation. Like, he was getting richer, Lazio getting richer, even though it was, you know, a little bit dodgy. It's like what we've seen with the Pozzos with Udinese and Watford mm. and Granada. So... I don't know. Look, we can go on all day about all this sort of stuff and what the true meaning of, you know, what the, what the true, I guess, Intention uh, intentions is, yeah. are for, you know, the PSG owners and the Manchester City owners and the Newcastle I mean, owners. maybe, I mean, maybe it's day. like having an NFL franchise. Maybe it gives maybe. them prestige worldwide and they, and they want to hold on to that. Uh, but it seemed like a very specific state back to mission to take over yeah. PSG in preparation for this tournament that's going to show off Qatar to the world, essentially. Well, and got a few after months. that's done, I don't know, maybe they're going to keep on trying to host big events. Maybe they'll move on and try and host the Olympics or something. Well, but I mean, when you think about it, like it does make sense, especially with the Saudis, because the Saudis have this whole Saudi 2030 vision thing where they're trying to get as many big events to come across mm. to have to be hosting Jeddah or Riyadh. You know, they struck partnerships with El Clasico, the Supercoppa as well in Italy. Well, the El Clasico is in like that, the, the, the Spanish Super Cup. Yep. You know, they, they host all those glorified big friendlies. Um, they want to get, you know, big events over to, to the Saudis and don't 
don't be surprised. I'm telling you, do not be surprised if we see Newcastle United sell a home game one day to Saudi Arabia as well. Um, you know, if you thought the seen, Sports Direct Arena was bad. Yeah, wait until we see Newcastle taking on Southampton in Jeddah. That's mm. when we're going to know, okay, things are getting a little bit, you know, a little bit of NQR at the moment. But anyways, Josh, let's move on. Yep. Let's talk a little bit of culture at the moment. Let's head over to Italy because this is one of the great derbies. We're talking tradition. We're talking, you know, passion. This is the one to, to look at. Arguably the best rivalry in Italian football. Roma versus Lazio. Derby della Capitale. Lazio won the first one. Roma said, well, you're not going to sweep us this time around, mate. We're going to come around and get the job done. Jose Mourinho was confident. I don't know if you saw his Instagram. He put up two selfies. Close-ups of his face, him on the bus saying, basically, I'm conf- I'll am i get the exact phrasing up. It was him basically saying, me before the game being, you know, overly confident about winning this game and me afterwards. And it was basically the same, the same photo. So he goes, when you know that you win before the match, the bus picture and the dressing room picture are very similar. So <laughs> he is up at a, he was confident. He knew it. And I mean, within a minute, Roma were ahead. Tammy Abraham on the score sheet. Um, Friend of the station, Adriano Del Monte, posted a fantastic video right outside, right in front of the Roma Ultras, who were singing Tammy Abraham's name after he scored. Tammy Abraham is becoming one of the biggest figures in Roma. I read this brilliant piece before the game about how he can stamp himself as one of Roma's great strikers with a big performance in a game like this. You know, going up with the names like Totti and Vincenzo Montella, some of the great strikers who have come before him. And he's doing just that. A double Lorenzo Pellegrini with one of the great free kicks you'll ever see. A 3-0 win. And Roma right now, they have not lost in the league since the start of January. They are absolutely flying at the moment under Mourinho after a really, really tense start. They they were struggling. Mm. They've found their rhythm. They've found their groove. They've got their players back out in the park. And it's good to see that they're still in the hunt for top four, which is a really good uh, sign for them and a good way to end the season uh, heading into that final stretch after the international break. Legitimate question here, and I'm not just trying to stir the pot. Yeah. If you're Chelsea right now, would you rather have Tammy Abraham or Romelu Lukaku? Tammy Abraham. Tammy Abraham's in better form. Mm. I mean, I argue Tammy Abraham should start for England in these next two friendlies they've got this weekend. He's in better form than Harry Kane. Mm. Tammy Abraham's arguably the form striker in Serie A right now. Like, he's in some incredible form, and he's confident at the moment. He's, He's... exuding confidence in everything he's doing right now. You know, he started the season really well. He went through a lean patch, but since then, he is just reeking of a player that's just loving Mm. life right now. He made a... You know, I think the one thing that's underrated in all this is English players love to stay in the comforts of being in England. You don't... Like, prior to the last couple of years, not many English players made that move abroad. A lot love to stay in the Premier League system. We have seen these English players take that, make that you know bold move to go to a different league. Tammy Abraham, Chris Smalling, Fakayo Tomori, and has done them all the world of good by making that move. For a guy like Tomori, we know what it's like when you grow up in a city your entire life. He grew up a London mm. boy through the Chelsea Academy. Making that move from the comforts of your own home to go to a different city, different culture, new language, everything else... It's not easy for anybody, especially a young guy like Tammy Abraham. But he is fitting like a glove. He has taken it to it like a fishing water. And he's on fire at the moment. And it's great to see. It's good to see. It's good for the England national team. It's good for his own confidence. good for his stocks. Because let's be real, he was never going to get a look in at Chelsea based off what their strategy is. They had their eyes on Romelu Lukaku. He knew, I'm not going to get minutes here. I need to go somewhere else. And to be honest, I think he needs to leave the Premier League full stop. 
and I think this was a great move for him. He's become the guy at Roma. That's the thing as well. He's been given the keys and he has, you know, just... He has just thrived, and I just love to see it because him and his best mate, Fakayo, over at Milan, two really good friends, thriving in Serie A right now. It's just a shame that they both didn't get called up for the national team, that Tamori slander is still going on from Gareth Southgate. But Tammy Abraham's getting his due reward, and I hope he takes it forward into the World Cup because he offers something different that Harry Kane doesn't, and I think that's, that's the big thing. He's a lot more physical. He's a bit quicker than him as well. You know, Harry Kane's a bit more of that creative kind of guy, gets in between the lines. Tammy Abraham is your number nine. He's your perfect number nine, and he's a sharpshooter in front of goal. You love to see it. Yeah, I think his body's been a bit more reliable than Kane as well. Yeah. So, you know, that might... Continuity's a big thing. Yes, and you mentioned English players going abroad. It's kind of counterintuitive, but... At an English club, when you're one of the younger, sort of early 20s players, you're more likely to get overlooked for a shiny new foreign signing, especially in an Mm. attacking position. But if you're specifically brought in by a European club to fill a spot in in the team and you haven't just come through the youth academy or, you know, signed because you're around in the Premier League, then you're actually probably more likely to get consistent minutes. Yeah. It's, it's a really counterintuitive. I also think it holds the England national team better stead if they've got players who are used to un, unfamiliar environments yeah, and adapting overseas. Because guess what? Most international tournaments aren't held in England. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you have to get used to playing in different environments. Well, they lost the final on their home deck anyway. So, you know, like that, 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 that's <laughs> another right, thing. All yeah. right, all right, all right. We don't but, have to get... Rehash that one. But it's actually a good point. It's probably It probably serves for all of those big nations. Because a lot of the Italian players mainly play in Serie A, a lot of the Spanish players play in La Liga, a lot of the German players play in the, mainly in the Bundesliga. I actually think it would be a good thing to see more of them making that move and playing in other leagues. I think it would also be good to see international coaches look beyond their own shores. Absolutely. More often because there's a uh, in some countries, and it's only a specific few, where they, they view their league as the best, they have a certain myopia <laughs> about yes. their own playing overseas. And that's I'm not just talking about England here, which is the obvious Spain. one. Spain as well. Yeah. Unless you're right at the top in a Champions League level side, you tend to get overlooked. Well, look at all those players like, you know, Luis Alberto. You know, we've seen uh, Brahim Diaz. We've seen, trying to think who else from Spain has kind of been over. Well, Danny, well, not Danny, um, Jesus, Sergio Canales plays at Real Betis, though. It's not Mm. a high NRI team. Um, So, I mean, it does happen. It does happen quite a bit. And we've seen it. If we're going to take it back to England, we've seen it a lot with Fakaya Tamori. I mean, he's a better defender than Tyrone Mings. He's a better defender than Connor Cody. He's a better defender than Mark Gouy. But they are all playing ahead of him this, at this tournament. I can't believe what Mark Gouy he is. Yeah. yeah anyway. They all got selected ahead of him. And Fakaya Tamori has arguably been the best centre-back in the league this season. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? It's um, a weird one. It is, it is strange. But, uh, you know, Gareth Southgate... I, I just don't quite see what the next evolution of that England side really is. Well, they think that this is it for them. I mean, mm. that this is their time to win. I guess once you make a final, you think you're on to something and maybe that prevents a bit of evolution. No, no, they don't need revolution, but I think they need to evolve the way they play. I think Garrett Southgate needs to evolve as a coach as well, in-game coaching especially. Mm. Yeah, his adjustments, yeah. the level. I mean, throughout the entire tournament, People were calling for more of the creative players to to get off the bench and off the leash, and to abandon the double pivot. You know the safety blanket that Rice is, and Phillips, yeah, yeah. Rice and Phillips. 
Um, I guess we'll have to see something different um, with with Calvin Phillips being mm. injured for so much of the season. But but I think it'll be interesting to see. We'll Bryce and Henderson. We'll, we'll get what back, am I talking yeah. about? It's not going to be we'll, different. We'll, we'll, we'll get back to Serie A in a second, but it'd just be interesting to see how Garrett Southgate handles this because. You know, there are a lot of quality, creative players that are in some good form right now, and especially that Tammy Abraham, Harry Kane, you know, you know, discussion. Because Tammy Abraham's had a great season, but is it enough to maybe sway him away from Harry Kane? Does it have Does to it, be at Harry Kane's expense? No. Can he go to up top? Does he have, will he look at going a bit more As direct? we know, the Kane sees himself as more of a number a 10, 10 these days, or halfway in between, a 9.5, if you will. Yeah, but also as well, remember one thing, a lot of those creative players this season that he has gone to, Jaden Sancho, Marcus Rashford, they haven't had great seasns. I mean, Sancho, Rashford's been injured. Sancho hasn't been seen as many been minutes. And terrible when he's played. Yeah, and, honest. you know, Bakaya Saka... Sa- Sancho, to be fair, has been playing much better under Ralph Ranick. When he's been getting the minutes, definitely, yeah. yeah but he's been playing most games um, for for Ranić. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, th- I think he deserves inclusion at this point, just based on recent form. You know, the whole campaign hasn't exactly blown you away, and Manchester United have been mm. poor, as we know, but Sancho has been one of the players who's stepped up um, and had more first-team football in Ranić. Well, these are the sort of attackers he's picked. These are also including the midfield options he's selected for the upcoming friendlies. So he's picked guys like Mason Mount, Connor Gallagher's gotten a selection as well, Raheem Sterling, Harry Kane, Jack Grealish, Bakaya Saka, Phil Foden, Tammy Abraham, and Emil Smith-Rowe. Mm. So there's a lot of the same kind of players, like Smith-Rowe, Mason Mount, Jack Grealish, Phil sure. Foden, you know, and I don't think he's going to, you know, go to a system where none of them are playing in the starting lineup. Because um, it feels like he's quite set in what sort of system he wants to play. He wants yep. to play three four two one or three four three. You know, go really set with one striker and two creative players and two enforcers in midfield. We know Calvin Phillips has been injured, but it will be Rice and Henderson going forward. If it's not them, it'll be Jude Bellingham or it'll be James Ward-Prowse, who's also been selected. So there is a formula he's going to stick to. Um, but that could be ultimately what could be the black mark on Gareth Southgate's England tenure if he doesn't get any success for him. Yes, they won the Nations League, but you know, in the two big tournaments, the World Cup and the Euros, he's failed. I mean, he got them to the final, got them to the semis. Uh, you, you come on. No, I'm saying, uh, uh, let me rephrase, not failed, but he's failed at the big step when he's needed to get, like in those big games against Croatia, against Croatia, he mm-hmm. failed. Against Italy, he, how long did it take for him to make a sub against Italy? Yeah, but you get you get that final to penalties, like anything can happen. Still though, you have, a, you have Italy on the ropes. You're up 1-0 in both of these games as well, don't forget. They take an early lead in both those games. I, I do they, have criticisms of Gareth Southgate's in-game adjustments so far, but you can't call it a failure. You can't call I'll Euro say 20. it's a failure in the sense Because no one expected of, them to even in a make a final. In a 90-minute gap, in a 90-minute block, it's a failure. Okay. Not in terms of the whole tour. Maybe it should be a bit more specific. In a 90-minute block, when you're looking at the actual game in isolation, it's a failure. It's a failure for any is, coach. 120 in both of us, including penalties. I mean, okay, including penalties, sending up Marcus Rashford, Jaden Sancho and Bakaya Saka to take a penalty after they barely kicked the ball. Yeah. Again, that's that's just terrible coaching. We saw, we've seen it throughout history about not sending out a play to take a penalty if they don't have to. That's the preface as well. You know, if, if they haven't kicked the ball yet. Mm. So it, it, it's an interesting argument. But anyways, let's get back to the club football. We can go on about this sort of, you know, jargon all day. Um, the title race, again, taking another crazy twist over the weekend into dropping points again. One win from seven in the league. Going from, you know, having basically one hand on the Scudetto 
to now really falling to bits. A one all draw against Fiorentina on the weekend. Uh, they took they they went behind Lucas Torreira getting on the score sheet. Denzel Dumfries pulled one back, but it wasn't enough. Napoli 2-1 over Udinese. Victor Osimhen, of course, a double rescuing a win for them and Milan 1-0 win over Cagliari. Milan three points clear of Napoli. Napoli still have the goal difference on them right now, but into six points off with a game in hand. Eight games to go, Josh. Let's go bold. After the international break, it is the final stretch. Who's winning it? Hmm. Because Inter's fallen right off. They might have that game in hand, but their form right now, they look gassed. Maybe the international break will help them. A lot of those guys have been selected for, for the international games. But do Inter have another run in them? Can Napoli snatch it? Or is it is it looking like it could be Milan's time? Uh, I think we've looked at the run in before. And from memory, Milan's was very, very, tough, very, very tough. The end, yeah. But Inter's got Juve after the international break. Atalanta play Napoli. So that could be... <laughs> that could really... I wouldn't say decide it. Mm. But if Inter go nine points behind, it could get it could get out of reach for him. Well, if we look at uh, Milan's run in now, it doesn't look as hairy as it did because Lazio. Lazio well. always never an easy game, though. No, that's that's true. That's that. But Milan are the best away team in the league this season. I mean, Fiorentina aren't as good without Vlahovic, of course. But they're they're a prickly opposition. I mean, Verona could be could be a danger. Elos Verona are a very, very, very capable side. And then side. Atalanta Sassuolo last two games. Atalanta are Milan's bunnies, like putting it bluntly. Okay. Uh, right. Like literally, uh, Milan have got Atalanta worked out. And Sassuolo, though, that's the game I'm worried about. Because Sassuolo, I mean, <laughs> Sassuolo's bunnies. For I, I think sake. we're going to know whether Napoli stay well, it could in be over not. by those last couple of games. In the, in the next three weeks, Nap- Napoli have Atalanta, Fiorentina and Roma. And Roma is suddenly in great form again. Mm. So the equation is sort of shifted in Milan's favour, I have to say. Yeah, and then after that, Empoli, Sassuolo and Torino are not easy games as, as well for Napoli. It's it's going to be really intriguing to see whether they've got it in it. And Inter, well, Juve, Hellas Verona, they've got to play then, obviously, a bit of an easy game against Spezia. Roma at home, that's not going to be an easy game, but then quite an easy run home. Udinese, Empoli, Cagliari, Sampdoria. Now... They've also got to play that game in hand against Bologna as well, which hasn't been scheduled. Um, that's also one to keep an eye on. So I think that if certain results go in Milan's favour over the next little bit, this Scudetto could be wrapped up in the last two or three, with two or three games to go. I think for the neutral, they'd be hoping this goes to the final day. But I was having this conversation with a mate yesterday. Milan are bound to drop a game. They're not going to go through and win 1-0 every single week and, you know, defend how they have for the last few games. They've defended brilliantly and, you know, get a win because they're still struggling in the attacking third. Like, they are still... As much as Olivier Giroud hits some good form, they are still doing it. You know, there's no consistent strike. there's going to be a couple of draws in there. I think the, be game, tough to beat, the game that I am most worried about, there's a, there's a couple, but one that really stands out for me is the game against Genoa because Genoa under Blessing have been really hard to beat. They have been in an incredible run of form since he's come in. They haven't lost... They've gone on, I think it's nine or ten games. One, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, I think that's eight games. Eight games without a loss since he's taken over. They've drawn seven and won one, but they haven't been an easy team to beat. The game against Hellas Verona as well is not an easy one, but also those last couple. So 
it's definitely one to keep an eye on because it's not just going to be as easy as Milan now winning all last of their eight games. But also don't forget, Juve haven't lost in the league in a while as well. I'm not ruling them out because I, I, I have seen this story all before. And if they beat Inter, there's no reason why they can't get at least back into the race. They've got Four Cagliari. in a row, baby. Four in a row. Well, Cagliari, Bologna, Sassuolo, Venezia, Genoa, and then a tough finish against Lazio and Fiorentina. There's some I thought big you were doing games a verse there. from the Zinedine Zidane song for a second. Yeah. Cagliari, Bologna, <laughs> Atalanta. Yes. But it, it is going to be a fun, a fun watch to see how this all plays out the next few weeks. Um, you know, Milan right now in some good form. They, uh, we just want to say a big shout out to Fakaya Tamori and Mike Mignon yesterday. Another really sad case of racial abuse at the Cagliari home game. It's a, it's not becoming isolated incidents at these Cagliari games. It's a trend. The Serie A officials need to come down harder on them. They banned, I think it was like three or three fans for life at the last incident. But now it's getting to a point where they need to do more. And I'm going as hard as saying, I honestly think Cagliari shouldn't play with fans for the rest of the season. I think that is how you got to set. You got to you got to go hard here, and if it's, you can't go with one game, you've got to go for the rest of the season. Make them feel it. Yeah, and, and, and they're in a relegation battle. Exactly, well, so that, that will play a big part. Absolutely, but this has Points to be deduction. punishment. Mm, that's probably the last step. Yeah, in a relegation battle, if you really wanted to come down hard, you'd go there. But I think playing without fans, they'd feel it just as much, especially in a COVID period. It hit the hip pocket as well. Mm. And they're going back. The thing is, as well, this in two weeks' time, for the first time since pre-COVID, that they'll they'll be allowed to have a hundred percent capacity as well. The the stadium ban also automatically solves the problem for the rest of the season and protects yeah. players who are visiting there. So I, I actually agree with you. I think that's I think a better. That's, I think yeah. that's a better solution. Um, but we know time and time again, Serie A lets these teams off with a slap mm. on the wrist. Absolutely. So that, that's one of my least favourite things about the competition, to be honest, and is they, no, they don't yeah. hold these these disgusting, um, you know, these uh, events. Like, they don't hold these clubs uh, accountable for mm. this stuff that happens on a, a pretty regular basis, which is a disgrace. Um, Venezia f- lost four in a row. I don't think they're staying no, up. I don't think so. But think- Genoa. Yeah. Genoa could, could... Genoa under blessing, man. They're going to find a way. Dave, shout out to David Zrilich, the assistant coach down there. <laughs> <laughs> the Zrilich effect. He's, he's, uh, they're, they're, they're in the hunt. They're three points off. I think it's a bit hard for Salernitana. They've got two games in hand. I mean, but... they've literally just gone full armoured tortoise. Two like... wins, 16 draws. They, you know, they... I mean... 16! They, you can't score against these guys. Like, they, they decided after the 6-0 loss to Fiorentina, enough was enough. Well, that was Shevchenko's last game as yep. head coach, yeah. And, you know, since then, nil-nil, nil-nil, 1-1, one, 1-1, one, 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 nil-nil, 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 1-0. One one nil. Nil. And finally they got the job done <laughs> thanks to a Porta Nova goal. That's just extraordinary. <laughs> I mean, it is unbelievable. Look, they've actually got an okay team. They've got guys like, you know, Stefano Soraro, Milan Badel, guys who have been there and done that, Salvatore Serigo in goals, who's it may not be pretty, massive bit of leadership. But if they can overhaul Cagliari, given the events that we've seen, I will I be would celebrating. be very, very happy. Unfortunately, Venezia, as the fashion kings of the league, uh, looks like they... I would like to see Venezia and Genoa come up out of there and see Spezia and Cagliari go down because Spezia are very nondescript and they always beat Milan. I want them gone. Venezia, I want them to stay up because I want those Kappa kids still in Serie A and I want Genoa to stay up because I want more David Zrilich in Serie A and more. Actually, look, you know what? If Genoa take points off Milan, I'll probably U-turn my take and say, get them out because I'm sick of, you know, the armored tortoise. But 
at the same time, for now at least, they're my boys. They're going to st- stick around for a bit longer. But anyways... Hey, I mean, maybe Venezia would have stayed up if they put got their kits back in stock. You maybe. Know? That's like their main revenue source, right, is kit yeah. nerds around well, the world. they signed Nani. I, I mean, mean, Nani uh, probably went just for the kits. Are they, are they trying to create artificial shortage with these things and, like... <laughs> You know, are they making money off the secondary market? I'm not sure what's going I, on there. I, I'm really just not too order sure. more, guys. They're always sold out on the website. I check back every month. They're always gone because we want more. I, I, we I, need I, more. more. <laughs> and this is a shout out to Ultra Football as well. Ultra Football. If you guys can get them in stock, I'll be there the day that they arrive. <laughs> we'll I'll be there. <laughs> we'll. <laughs> hey, you can't mention that. <laughs> Anyways, um, before we get before we wrap up and we go to the European qualifiers, uh, the title race in the Bundesliga. He's still hanging around, six points off, Bayern ahead of Dortmund right now. Uh, they Bayern came away with a 4-0 win on the weekend. Dortmund drew against Cologne. It would have been a massive result for Dortmund to stay in touch if they were able to get a result. They'd only be four points off, but instead they're six. So keep an eye on that one heading into the post-international I, break. I didn't give my prediction, by the way. Oh, I yes. Think, I think if it goes down to the wire, I'm leaning Napoli. But if Milan can create some separation over the next couple of weeks... Hmm. I think they can do it, It'll even be- even without you know being particularly prolific. Inter, I'm saying it's over, it's done, they're yeah. gone. But Juve, you think they're going to go on a run? But Juve are going to be the you know the battle cruiser in pursuit. It's going to sound like literally like it's going to be like Rogue One, and it's going to be like they're Darth Vader and Milan are basically trying to get the plans, and it's like you know have Darth Vader is Max Allegri just chopping through with. With terrible football and football <laughs> terrorism. What a not there, what a Bang, bang. And Milan are going to escape on the final day because Juve are going to make some mistake along the way. Mm. Um, I don't know what it's going to be. Maybe Locatelli is like the sleeper agent as like a Milan youth player and he'll score an own goal in a big game. And it's like Mads Mikkelsen's character of, you know, revealing Imagine the Imagine Tiziano, you know. Oh, I'll tell you what, like... I, I'm nervous. Because as much as goal. <laughs> as much as it's dawned on me how good it would be if Juve beat Inter, it also goes. It's also like counterintuitive because if Milan don't win their next game, then Juve are right back in it. So as long as we keep winning, it's okay. You, you got to be supporting Juve. Uh, you got to be supporting Inter against Juve. Juve are the danger. No, now. no, 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 no. Oh, you Inter still got that game in hand. That doesn't make me. I think. I think they're. They're broken. I think they're done. As I think, long I think as they've run out of steam. I think Liverpool was the final nail in the coffin. You know, they should have they should have done better in that game. Mm. You know, they, they they came so close and, you know, events conspired against them. And I think you just saw their spirits drop. Dropped. Yeah. Yeah. I think the uh, Arigio Saki actually said they need to change system and go to a back four. Mm. He probably would say, let's play a sweeper as well if he had it his <laughs> way. He'd go real cut their nacho for the rest of the season. Uh, Arigio Saki going for a narrow 4 4 2. I'm sure. A 1 3 4 2. Play Buddy Scrinia as a sweeper or play Ranocchio as a sweeper or something. Like that. <laughs> yeah, it would be Ranocchio. But, anyways, um, Milan plays that. Ranocchio is still a thing, by the way. You know what? He's probably good in the locker room. Yeah. Probably great for the morale. Right, the Renocker room. 
Yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ, Josh. Anyways, um, moving <laughs> that was on better. to... I should have kept that. Yeah. Moving on to this weekend, Josh, uh, the final round of European qualifiers. Um, as we do know, Russia are out, so Poland are through to the next round. They'll play Ooh, the winner. Poland. So that, that, they're through. That game will be played in June. The other game the as well... The sweetest words in the English language. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, sorry, we'll be played the, in March. The six sweetest words in the Polish language. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can get it up, but I can't be able to say it. But Poland will play the winner of Sweden or the Czech Republic next week. Um, Scotland-Ukraine, which was supposed to be played this week, has been postponed until June for obvious reasons. Um, so the winner of Scotland-Ukraine play the winner of Wales-Austria, who will play that. So Wales-Austria play on Friday, but that game has been postponed until June um, to just to sort out what's going on, obviously, with the Ukrainian national team. Well, you get there that? There you go. I didn't hear it. The Mishna. Not as bad as I thought. Yeah, well, there you go. But the big ones to keep an eye on, Josh... And I am so nervous. I knew this game has been coming for months, but now it's really dawned on me that it's like, it's Mm. here. And I said to you before the show that the 24 hours from Australia playing Japan, that that game starting at 8 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Thursday night, and then the next morning at 6.45 Australian Eastern Daylight Time, Italy's playing Macedonia in that qualifier in Palermo. I am so freaking nervous. Okay. <laughs> no one here. You know what? Like, if, if they beat us, I hope they go on and make the World Cup. Yeah. Like, I, I, I will be so upset because I know a lot of Macedonians who will give it to me until the cows go home. So, like, losing in Sweden. I don't know a Swedish mm. person. So, it didn't bother me. Actually, mm. it did bother me, but it like, didn't bother it, me. You haven't recovered. Yeah. I don't it's think like if we had lost against even England losing in the, final. the Euros didn't quite raise the no, battle No, because we still need to make the World Cup, for God's sake. Because, uh, <laughs> like, I, I, this is the thing. I've had Joey Lidge tell me for months that it's not if, but when Italy don't make the World Cup. I need this because I've had it on him about Italy beating them in the final. I need this. So, <laughs> please, like, I'm begging you, Italy, don't fumble the bag. Not now. Like, it's, I'm so, I, I'm genuinely panicking. Like, I am so nervous. I mean, we can tell. Friday morning, like, you guys might not hear from me for, like, three days if Italy don't win. I, I, I'm, I, like, you're lucky there's no A-League games until Sunday, but I might walk into the box on Saturday, Sunday night completely disheveled. Mm. Like, I might be a shell of myself after this. I, I can't have two missed World Cups in a row. The tenor of your voice is, like... Raised by about an octave <laughs> since we started talking about I, this. I'm about to have a panic I, attack. No, I am panicking about this game so much. We can't lose. Like, Maybe I should set up some kind of countdown clock to the match. What, like an El Chiringuito style? Yeah. But Elfi, but the good thing is for Italy, Elfi Elmas is suspended. So their best player is out. And the killer, Goran Pandev, has retired. And no, he's not out of retirement. So You don't think we're going to get a surprise Goran Pandev? Well, it would have happened by now if, mm. if um, he would have been selected. But I was referring to the Zealand meme. But, anyway. oh, but anyways, um, I think, look, in all honesty, I think Italy will beat Macedonia. It, they've pl- they're playing it at the most hostile place possible in Palermo, which we know Palermo is freaking hostile. It's like Italy have gone, you know, we're not going to play in the lavish stadiums in Milan or in Turin or in Rome. We're taking them to Palermo for Take God's sake. Mean streets, so baby. If, it's like... Basically saying the England national team are not going to play at Wembley, but we're going to play at the Britannia or at Loftus Road instead. You know, in a real or at Selhurst Park. You know, they need to get a win, but we're going to make it so hard for the opposition. So if Italy win, 
They play the winner of Portugal or Turkey, which is not easy in itself because that game is in Lisbon or Istanbul. And I don't want to go to Istanbul, but I don't want to go to Lisbon either. <laughs> this is this is going to be a big it, week, it man. It is a murderous row on the way I, of the world. Why, why couldn't Jorginho just I, score those penalties, man? Like, he missed two penalties. Two. I mean, just, how penalties. much stress can you handle in the space of two days? Because the Socceroos are playing Japan on Thursday night. Well, so this is, this is, this is the situation. 8.10 p.m., Australia, Japan. I'm going to try and go to sleep afterwards. Key word is try. No sleep. And then I'll get up, I'll watch Italy. If Italy wins, then the situation on Wednesday morning is, if Australia's still alive at that point, if that game's not a dead rubber, Australia plays Saudi Arabia at 5am. Italy starts, if they win, at 6.45 <laughs> at this, on the same morning. Back to back. This could be the most painful... That could be... If, if Italy go through and if Australia's still alive, that could be the most painful, like, four hours of, like, I wouldn't say of my life, but, like, of my footballing journey. I wish I could change your camera to black and white just for... I am so nervous. But, hey, Balotelli didn't get called up. Oh, I can. There we go. Sad, Nicholas. Mm. This, is, this is Nick if Italy lose. <laughs> mm. Shame I can't pull up some sad music in the in the meantime. But anyways, Balotelli didn't get called up, so you got your way. Uh yeah, I he, he surely ended up being uh, omitted for Jao Pedro instead. Hey, Italy's also calling up thirty-year-olds for their first cap that aren't Italian. That's not causing a big uproar like it is no. over here. So, um, but anyways, look, Josh. I mean, let's he, leave you think it it's fine if they've got a striker shortage that they turn to a foreigner? Well, Jao Pedro, in all fairness, though, Jao Pedro has been one of the most informed forwards in Serie A for a very long time, who should have left Cagliari a very long time ago. He's also pretty uh, inconsistent in front of goal. Yeah, because he can create as that's well. That's true, that's true. That's probably why. He's got he's got that creative edge, so you can play him as a 10 if need be. But anyways, I don't think he's even going to see the pitch, so I think they're going to go try and test it with Chiroi Mobilev, which I really hope doesn't happen. They go to Skamaka, but anyways. I mean, I'm kind of sad that Balotelli didn't end up making it, because I thought we might see some uh, off-field fireworks. Maybe some bathroom fireworks. Yeah, potentially. I mean, it could have happened in Istanbul. We know with the flares there. God, no. Well, hey, he would have been playing in familiar sur- surroundings. He's been playing in Turkey and dominating. So, anyways, before I completely blow a gasket, Josh, let's leave it there. Yeah, I think we're going to go. We've been going way over time, Next by the way. Monday could be a really interesting show. It could be a banner day in the history of the FNI Euro show. This could be our, our highest rating episode. Tune in to see Nick's mental breakdown it could or be, slash just absolutely unbearable victory lap. If, if uh, well, I, no, it won't be because it will still just be half the job done. Mm, true. <laughs> so it'll be true. like, you know, yay, we're there, but like, nay, we're still got, and there could be two big rating shows in back-to-back weeks. Yeah, well, all I can say is stay tuned, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, because whatever happens, it will be box office. Yes, absolutely. But anyways, keep an eye as well on the FNR socials, guys. Serious note. New show coming to FNR on Monday night straight after the Euro show. We're not going to reveal exactly what it is, but it's coming. That's and all I'm saying. We might it's be coming. even uh, adding a third panellist. Yes, absolutely. It's going to be a lot of fun. Can't wait to, to you know go communicado official with it, but we'll keep an eye on the socials over the next few days. Uh, big shows coming up this week. Oz Football Hour back tomorrow. Yes. Uh, obviously, we're going to be pre- previewing uh, Japan versus Australia on Thursday night. Um, we're also going to be talking A-League, of course. Um, but, yeah, 
just Socceroos and indeed Socceroos coaches dropping like flies when it comes to the COVID situation. Yep. So we could see a makeshift 11. But even then, Japan has had some players yes. out as well, particularly in the forward line. So very interesting times. Very interesting times. Both sides weakened. And, of course, we've got our grand final preview on Radio Dub. We're going to be talking to Ali Green from Sydney FC. And we'll try and get a victory player on as well because... We've had a real victory flavour over the last few weeks. Well... Mate. Why, why not? Yeah. I mean, they just keep winning. Yeah. So we got to keep getting them on. You know, yeah. they, the longer they survive in the finals, the more coverage they get. If they win, we might get another one, yeah. another victory play the week after. Absolutely. So, it's great. You know, we'll uh, confirm those guests soon, but uh, we'll definitely be speaking to someone from Sydney FC as well. And on Wednesday, gr- no, green room. No green, green room because they're in clash. action. They they're will be action. playing. So uh, we didn't think it was sensible to go up against the actual team playing <laughs> the actual game. Yeah. We thought that was a little bit foolish. So green room will be back next week, uh, but we'll have the EPL show and we'll have State of Our Football Nation on Thursday nights, followed by the Lions Den. And the Lions are not back at home this week, but no. the f- next week, fresh off a big win against the Eagles, Josh, you were there on Saturday? I was. Up and about. 91st minute winner in a derby game. Doesn't get better than From that. big numbers in 77, Christopher Davies, who Could. stood up and headed the ball home. Headed. Yes. Nodded the ball home. You can use many different adjectives. Mm. But anyways, time for us to say goodbye. We'll be back Could again. Could it be a portent of what's to come for the Macedonian national team? Oh, <laughs> don't remind me. Anyways, we'll be back again next Monday. Uh, signing off here, Nick Tabano, Josh Parrish. Have an enjoyable week in football. Sometimes I feel... I don't know. I don't know. There's not really time to relax and take an espresso for Juventus. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to get a bad You don't have to get a bad Attaccare!